0: I'm Hillary Gleets with j Farms in Waller, Texas, where you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today.
1: This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories.
2: We continue our tour of agriculture in the Rio Grande Valley. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show.
3: A court has vacated registrations of DeCamba. I'm Jessica Domo and we'll explain what that means for farmers coming up on Texas Ag Today.
4: Top dressing their wheat is an important consideration for many Texas High Plains farmers right now. I'm James Hunt and coming up on Texas Ag Today, we'll have some special advice for our dryland
2: farmers.
1: Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello,
2: Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. Be sure to hold on tight because it all starts right now. We are reporting today from the Rio Grande Valley, where a group of Texas farmers and ranchers are touring valley agriculture. This is the home of the Texas citrus industry, which consists of about 75% grapefruit and 25% orange production. Unfortunately, it's an industry that's on the decline. We spent some time at Lone Star Citrus, the second largest citrus packer in Texas. It's a vertically integrated company that covers the entire production, growing and marketing process from planting the tree to sending the final product to the store. TJ Flowers and his father founded this company 17 years ago. And he told me Winter Storm Uri devastated the citrus industry here three years ago and they're still recovering from it.
5: So we are probably about 75% recovered and have maxed it out. And the reason I say max it out is because a lot of the trees that existed prior to the 21 freeze no longer exist. They died or were pushed out of production. So in order to get back to where we were pre-freeze numbers, it takes people like us here at Lone Star Citrus Growers to embark upon the process of replanting new groves, which is a four year process from start to finish
2: and just a few weeks ago when much of texas was in the single digits it got into the 20s for a couple of nights here in the valley
5: correct the mid-january 24 freeze Uh, we had temperatures that got pretty cold but it didn't get cold enough long enough for us to sustain the amount of damage that we had in 2021 Uh, we had temperatures that were as low as 25 in some spots Uh, But it was only for a few hours and the average cold down here in South Texas was about 28 degrees for six to eight hours Um, It is causing some minor defoliation, but none of the fruit froze Uh, The worst thing that we're experiencing right now is some Valencia oranges are uh, Shedding fruit. There's a phenomenon called fruit drop when a tree experiences cold temperatures that don't kill it but it damages it to the point where it wants to let go of the fruit. So we're trying to double time on our Valencia harvest to get them off the tree before they fall.
2: Flowers is facing the same big issue that every other farmer is facing here along the border, a severe lack of irrigation water. Everything here is dependent on surface water from the Rio Grande, and nearly all of that water comes from Mexico, which will not live up to an 80-year-old treaty to share water with the US. Lone Star Citrus has about 4,000 acres of grapefruit and orange trees to keep watered, and without that water from Mexico, all types of agriculture here along the border will continue to suffer. There are also traditional row crops here in the valley like corn, milo, and cotton. Brian Jones is one of those row crop farmers and he says February means it's time to roll the planters. There's
6: a lot of people down here in the Rio Grande Valley that have already started planting. Uh, I'm planning to start planting next week. Uh, I'm a 100% irrigated farmer with zero water right now. And so my plan right now is still a little bit in flux, but what I'm looking at is probably half the farm will be planted in Milo, and the other half I'll take prevented planting on, uh, prevented planting cotton
2: on the other half. And yes, you did hear right. He is a 100% irrigated farmer with absolutely no water, not a drop to grow a crop this year and here in the valley it gets hot in fact the temperatures start hitting hundred degrees in march and that doesn't let up until october It's the same story we've been hearing all week there is a very unique system here for allocating irrigation water out of the rio grande river and we have to share that river with mexico two years of drought, and Mexico not living up to the water-sharing treaty that's been in place since 1944 is devastating hundreds of farmers like Jones. In fact, the situation is so desperate that only a big tropical storm or hurricane can deliver the water that's needed here. But if they do get a tropical storm or hurricane, it's just a temporary fix the underlying problem with mexico is still there and it'll come back up again once things dry out
6: unfortunately that's the quickest salvation to this problem and once the we do get water into the dams then the the situation goes to the back burner the situation is not solved the situation just goes to the back burner because okay well we got water in the dams so you know we're we'll fight that fight later well we need to we need to come to a solution where Mexico's delivering the water that they owe us
2: annually. That's Brian Jones, a row crop farmer here in the Rio Grande Valley. A federal court has vacated registrations of dicamba. Jessica Domo looks at what that means for farmers.
3: Three dicamba based herbicides used on soybeans and cotton across the United States will not be available to farmers in the coming seasons. Earlier this week, U.S. District Judge David Barry of Arizona vacated the registrations of Bayer's Extendamax, BASF's Ingenia, and Syngenta's Tavium. The registrations, which, as I mentioned, have now been vacated, allowed the use of decamba on cotton and soybeans in 34 states. The suit was brought to the court in 2020 by the Center for Food Safety and other groups who argued the Environmental Protection Agency failed to provide proper public notice or invite public comment when approving Decamba for such uses in 2020. The groups, which also included the Center for Biological Diversity and the Pesticide Action Network North America, said the pesticide has caused drift damage to millions of acres of non-genetically engineered soybeans, as well as to orchards, gardens, trees, and other plants. According to Reuters, BASF, Bayer, and Syngenta disagree with the ruling and are awaiting guidance from EPA. Bayer said supply chains will be significantly affected by the unanticipated chemistry demands on the more than 40 million dicamba-tolerant soybean and cotton acres directly impacted by the order. At a conference in Washington this week, an assistant EPA administrator said the EPA has not yet figured out their response to the decision. She said they realize EPA needs to make a decision as to whether farmers may use existing stocks of the products or not. North Carolina State University Extension said many will panic in response to the news and scramble to switch technology. Crop protection companies are assessing the situation to find a path forward for DeCamba. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel.
2: Top dressing wheat is an important consideration for many Texas wheat farmers right now. James Hunt has some advice for dry land wheat farmers.
4: In recent reports, we've been hearing from Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Calvin Trossel on when farmers should top dress their wheat with nitrogen. Dr. Trossel's suggestion is the best way to maximize grain yields is to apply nitrogen at the time wheat begins jointing. But as important as getting the timing right is, moisture is another critical consideration. The fertilizer simply won't be effective without it, which means wheat farmers who aren't irrigating their crop have something else to think about.
0: For a dry land producer, there could be situations where it may seem like it's too early to top dress, but if you got a crop that looks like it's worth it, has potential, And the forecast indicates that you've got a good chance of a rain-snow mix, some combination of that. And it might be a month ahead of when you normally would top dress. My advice is to go ahead and get that top dress nitrogen put out because you have a chance to get it in the root zone. That's so important. And any farmer in the Texas High Plains knows that you could go five or six weeks in late February or or mid, I'll say most of February into mid-March, you could go five or six weeks without any rain or snow. And so if that doesn't happen, then any nitrogen that you're applying during that time on a dry land field is not going to do you any good. It's sitting on the surface. It's not in the system.
4: Once again, that was Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Calvin Trossel, who asked me to tell farmers if you have questions about managing nitrogen for your wheat or other crops, please call AgriLife Extension. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
2: Opportunities for U.S. red meat exports. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have comments again from the president of the U.S. Meat Export Federation on Texas Ag Today and creep-feeding young lambs can help develop their digestive system. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up.
1: These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today.
3: After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery.
1: Visit Texas Farm Bureau insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Broadcasting from a padded room in the basement of the Texas Farm Bureau World Headquarters. Here's Carrie Martin with more Texas Ag Today.
2: There are promising opportunities for U.S. red meat exports. Tom Nicoletti visits with the president of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Demand and diversified markets are positive aspects of U.S. red meat trade around the globe, which certainly benefit Texas producers.
7: Here is Dan Hallstrom, U.S. Meat Export Federation president and chief executive officer. The positive we can zone in on is the word demand. Demand is solid and record-breaking in some of these countries. In a case of beef, that's with relatively, maybe not record, but close to record high prices. The global consumer is not backing away from U.S. beef at these prices. They understand the value. They understand our situation. We've gone through liquidation through dry years, through droughts back in 2012 and 13. They're very smart buyers. They know this. Beef is a great example, Tom. We're working on maximizing the value of that carcass. So if we don't have enough short plates to Asia, and we have four or five countries in Asia all competing on short plates, and the U.S. short plate's a premier product. Well, we're still going to sell short plates, but we obviously don't have as many as we used to. So let's work on things like the shoulder cloth. Let's work on the insides or the knuckles from the round. Some of these cuts are primals that are a little bit less valued than they should be. It represents an opportunity for these buyers. So despite the fact that we have higher prices and gonna stay that way for a while, demand is still very solid. And certainly diversification in developing markets is key. Without a doubt, that's the other takeaway. The more markets we can have for our products, the better. And we're in a very good situation. We are, whether it's beef or pork, we're not relying on two or three markets we probably have 10 to 12 that make up the vast majority of our value that's exported. And we need to add to that portfolio. And the industry is very supportive as well. So we're excited about that.
2: Those comments from U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Hallstrom. I'm Tom Nicoletti for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Creep feeding young lambs can help develop their digestive system. Dr. Bob Judd tells how.
8: Creep feeding provides young lambs with a concentrated feed while nursing. Newborn lambs have an immature digestive system as milk bypasses the first three stomach compartments and goes directly into the abomasum. To be able to digest forage, the lamb must undergo a transition of digestion and absorption from the abomasum to the rumen. An early introduction of feed and water hastens this process, providing creep feed aids in papillae development, and stimulation of growth and muscular action of the rumen. Water and feed both add beneficial bacteria to the rumen. Creep feed should be made of highly digestible carbohydrates and about 20% protein, and the higher the protein, the higher the average daily gain. Creep feed can be started as early as one to two weeks of age, and to encourage the lambs to eat the feed, they need a comfortable area to eat that is clean and well-bedded but still adjacent to their mother's. The area needs to be well lit or the lambs will not enter, and creep feed must be kept fresh. And since lambs will only ingest a small amount at first, only put out a small amount of feed at a time. Again, fresh water is very important. Since the lambs are still nursing, many people don't worry about having water available. But water is needed. Use a creep feeder that prevents lambs from lying in or playing in the feed, and it needs to be large enough so lambs are not competing for the feed. Dr. Froehlich recommends two square feet of creep space per lamb for lambs under 30 pounds. So getting a creep feeder with 8 to 10 inch openings that is adjustable is a good idea. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
1: We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. Sometimes you love them, sometimes you cuss them. Here's a look at the markets on Texas Ag Today.
3: After trading mostly lower through much of the day Friday due to little trade in the cash cattle market, live cattle ended the day trading higher on Friday. Analysts say that could be due to reductions in the U.S. cattle inventory. February, live cattle up 85 cents to 184.62. April live cattle up 15 cents to 186.72. June live cattle up 25 cents to 183.97. Despite corn trading lower for the past couple of days, feeder cattle traded mostly lower on Friday. March feeder cattle up 30 cents to 247.15. April feeder cattle down 15 cents to 251.77. May feeder cattle down 62 cents to 255.67. Box beef was lower Friday. Choice fell 87 cents to $294.14. Select fell $1.34 to $282.78. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble.
0: Madison Bexley, my guest. She operates Lockhart Livestock. They sell every Thursday. Madison, how was this week's sale?
9: It was a really good day. We ended up with 1447, with 233 cows and 18 bulls, 255 sellers and 97 buyers.
0: Walk beans with us.
9: On the sucker cows, we got along uh, real good. The front of the pairs brought from 1650 to 1950. The mediocre and middle aged pairs from 11 to 1500. The longhorn on the planar end of the pairs from 750 to 1000. The good bred cows from 13 to 1650, the mediocre middle-aged cows from 950 to 1250, and packer cows and bulls would have been about steady, good high-yielding cows from $1.06 to $1.19, medium-yielding cows from $90 to $1.05, low-yielding and lightweight cows from $67 to $89, the good high-yielding packer bulls from $1.25 to $1.33, the low, medium-yielding and lightweight bulls from $1 to $1.24, and on the calves in New Orleans, uh, they just continue to sell really good uh, with a lot of demand for the good quality calves most classes would have been steady to to a little higher on a active market so on also it was a really good day
0: well tell everybody if you know anything for next week and how to get a hold of you
9: you can always check us out on facebook or you can call the barn at 512-398-3476 my cell phone at 979-540-9793 or you can reach bubba at 512-461-6091
0: neighbor that's it for this edition of walk in the pens here on the texas farm bureau radio network i'm larry marble Thanks for doing so right this second on Texas Ag Today.
3: Lean hogs traded higher on Friday on higher pork cutout values, driven by sales of butt and belly cuts. February lean hogs up 37 cents to 73.67. April lean hogs up 80 cents to 81.15. Block cheese fell 3.25 cents Friday to a dollar 57. Barrel cheese rose a penny to a dollar 57. Dryway was steady at 52 cents. February class 3 milk rose 2 cents Friday to 16.14 100 weight. March class 3 milk fell 16 cents to 17.03 100 weight. We saw triple digit increases in the cotton market on Friday. DTN reports cotton hit the highest mark since November of 2022 on Friday due to massive speculative buying and options expiration for the March contract. March cotton up 268 points to 9,178. May cotton up 254 points to 9,222. December cotton up 28 points to 8,322. Corn traded lower again on Friday. Analysts say that's due to a bearish report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. That report showed growing corn supplies globally and some reduction in use for food, seed and industrial use in the United States, with larger ending stocks in the United States. That’s according to the February WASDE report from USDA released this week. March corn down 4 and a quarter to 429 may corn down three and a half to 441 and a half. September corn down 4 to 457 and 3 quarters. March hard red wheat was up a half Friday to six oh one and a half, May hard red wheat even at five ninety-nine and a half, July hard red wheat up a quarter to five ninety-three and three quarters. Soy traded lower on Friday due to more rain in the forecast for Brazil. Analysts say a large crop of soybeans expected in Brazil is also weighing on soybean trade. Now USDA did forecast a reduction in d- Brazilian soybean production this year. March soybeans down 10 to 11.83 and a half. March natural gas fell 6 cents Friday to $1.84. April natural gas down 6 cents to $1.88. March crude oil up 48 cents Friday to 76.70 a barrel. April crude oil up 45 cents to 76.64 a barrel. According to Reuters, those increases that we saw this week in crude oil trade were due to conflicts in the Middle East. And now let's take a look at the financial markets. Friday, the Dow fell 52 points to 38,673. The S&P 500 rose 24 points to 5,022. And the Nasdaq was 182 points higher, 15,976. That wraps up our look at the markets and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We hope you join us next time for the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domewell and y'all have a good day.
1: Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.